finished uh, July 4th on Friday, uh, and I started looking back over messages and realized in 20 years I haven't preached a lot of messages on our, our relationship to our, our government, to our relationship to our world, to the idea of Christianity and how it, it intersects with, with being an American. So this morning I'm going to uh, tackle that today. Uh, there are going to be some of you who are going to like what I say, and some of you are going to get very upset with me. Uh, so here's what I'm going to say right off the bat. Got no problem if you don't like it. Uh, I have no problem if you disagree with me. Here's all I would ask of you. You go home, you get your Bible out, you figure out where I'm wrong, then you call me up and we'll meet, and you can just show me from the Bible where I'm wrong and we'll be good, and I'll stand up and change stuff next week, all right? Uh, so that's kind of where we're going on this today. So you're going, wow, you know, I'm already upset, and we haven't even started. Um, you know, I think it's important because I, I have some concerns, all right? First of all, I, I'm concerned, like many of you, for the direction of our country. I don't like it. I don't like the way we're headed. I don't like the things that we're allowing. I don't like the things that are being done. I don't like the things that my taxes are, are supporting. Um, there's a lot of things I don't like. Um, I think that down the line it's going to get worse long before it ever gets better. Uh, having traveled overseas on a number of occasions, I will tell you that, hands down, there's not another country in this world I'd rather live in. Um, I will tell you, if any of you know me, um, that I am extremely patriotic, that I am extremely pro-military, uh, that although I never served, I have great respect and admiration for anybody who did, um, including to the point that both of my boys, before they could join the military, wanted to join at 17 and had to have our permission to do it. And they did so with our blessing. So, um, so when it comes to our country, that's kind of where I am. But probably as concerned as I am for our country, I'm concerned about Christianity too. Because I'm afraid one of, the, one of the trends that I'm seeing in Christianity right now is we've become more political than is probably healthy. I, I, I see a lot of Christian people who have embraced politics as the solution to our country. And I think you're, you're sadly wrong. We can get the right politicians in, and I'm all for that. We can get the right um, Supreme Court justices in, and I'm all for that. We can get everything going in a direction that we think is Christian, and I'm all for that. But that's not going to fix our country. You see, our country has a heart problem. And we don't need to get back to the principles of our founding fathers. We need to get back to the heart of our founding fathers. And I'm concerned because one of the directions that I see within Christianity is that if we get it fixed politically, we'll be a Christian nation again. And that's not true. The only way for us to become a Christian nation again is to fill it with Christians. 
So that means that we have to have a group of people who have decided to be followers of Jesus Christ and disciples of Christ. That will change our country. When we have a country full of people who desire to follow God, that's the heart fix for our country. Anything else, in my opinion, is a band-aid. And I'm all for band-aids. Let's just make sure that we, don't underst we understand that the band-aid doesn't fix a new heart. Okay? So having said all of that, we're going to dive into uh, Romans, the book of Romans this morning, which is probably the most clear passage on the role of a believer and its government. Right? Now let me give you a little bit of background. The first um, eight chapters of Romans are doctrinal. Paul writes the book to, the, to Christians at Rome. It's all doctrinal. Nero's the guy who's kind of about ready to be in power, in power when Romans is written. Nero was a bad guy, right? Especially when it comes to Christians. Uh, he, uh, so when he writes to the Christian believers that are in Rome, he spends the first eight chapters talking about doctrine. He spends the next three chapters talking about the children of Israel and their history. And when he gets to chapter 12, it's that famous verse, Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, based on the other, these nine chapters, give your life to God. And then he spends chapters 12 through 16 talking about a ton of practical things. So it's just filled with all kinds of uh, little quips and quotes of things to do, and, and, and it's just filled with a lot of practical stuff. But one of the practical things that it deals with is the role of government. Because for a Roman... Christian, that was a tough deal. I mean, here I am trying to follow God. Rome's in charge. And Rome is nasty. I mean, Rome is anti-God. Rome is incredibly pagan. Um, the emperors at Rome hate Christians. They blame Christians for the burning of Rome. Uh, they want to exterminate Christians. They're going to have leaders at Nero and Caligula and some of these other guys are going to come along, and the things they're going to do to Christians are, uh, you know, they're going, to, they're going to come up with arenas to put Christians in, and, and, and just because they're Christians, and they're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to make sport of them and watch animals kill them and laugh while they die. They're going to put women and children in there. They're going to, one of the emperors is going to take living human beings. He's going to tie them to a stake. He's going to set them on a post. He's going to pour tar upon their bodies. He's going to set them on fire at night so that as he walks through his garden at night, his garden is lit by burning living human beings called themselves Christians. So how does a Christian live in that kind of world? That's what Romans chapter 13 addresses. So with that in mind, let's tackle it. Romans chapter 13, here's what he says. Everyone... Well, that pretty much took care of all of us. Must submit himself to the governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist, have been established by God. Consequently, who rebels against the authorities, rebelling against God, what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what's right. He'll commend you. Remember, he's talking to the people in Rome at this time. 
For he is God's servant to do you good. If you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. It's also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. All right. I've read it. Let's walk through it verse by verse, section by section. Make sure we understand it, and then we'll try to apply it. Everyone. So that means that no one sitting in here is exempt. Okay? He's pretty much got us all at that point. Must submit himself to the governing authorities. This is a couple of words here that let's hang on. Submit. That's a military term. It's a military term that means to arrange yourself in rank under. In other words, in the military, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the military, but in the military there are ranks um, on the listed side and then on officer side. Um, In some branches there's a warrant officer thing. It's kind of a go-between between the two. But in the military... Everybody is positioned, who's accountable to who, is determined by rank. So that's a very important thing. And what he says is, you submit yourself. Just like in the military, you would go, okay, you know what? He's in E5 and I'm in E2, so he tells me what to do. Um, You know, he outranks me, so I need to listen to him. Here's what he said. Submit that way to who? Who does he say? What does the verse say? Governing authorities. You know who that means? That means anybody that's over you. So if you're an employer, that's your or employee, that's your employer. If you are a child, that's your parent. <clears throat> if you are a ball player, that's your coach. If you play on a ball team, that's the umpire referee. If you drive a car, That's anybody with lights on the top that pulls you over. Okay? It says governing authority. So in other words, here's what it's saying. People in life have been placed over you. You need to range yourself in rank under them. And notice what he says. He takes it even farther. For there is no authority, none, except that which God has established. Now, this is where some of you are going to get really angry really fast. You know what that means? That means that God put the authority over us. That means that in the last election, if God would have cast his vote in a presidential election, he would have checked... Barack Obama. And when Reagan was running for president, he would have checked Ronald Reagan. And when Gerald Ford was running, Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter, all of them, God said, that's my guy. That's my guy. Why? Because God put him in authority. You get that? I'm not saying you like it, but, there can, but God's the one who put them there. 
Now, to ease it a little bit, it doesn't mean that's who God wanted. But it means that's who God chose because that was the best person for us. And you'll find that in the nation of the children of Israel, often God would put rulers over them who were pagan in order to teach them a lesson. Because God said, you need to serve under this pagan guy to realize what you really had. But he's the guy I'm putting over you. That's the kingdom you're going to have to submit to. And Paul, in writing this to the Roman, a Christian who were in Rome under the Roman leadership, said, God established that authority over you guys. And notice what he goes on to say. The authorities that are consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And they will bring judgment on themselves. You understand what he says? He looks at this thing, and, and he's laid out this idea that, look, authority is established by God. And you go, wait a minute, I struggle with that, because what about, like, like Satan? Satan's, Satan's been given limited authority by God. You get that? Remember the story when, they, when Jesus casts out the demons, and the demons actually ask permission and say, look, 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 will you let us go into the pigs? Because God's the only one who could do that. God had to give them permission. Uh, it's interesting, when Jesus is crucified, and they come to him and he says, look, don't you, you need to answer these questions. Don't you understand that I have the power to kill you or free you? You notice what Jesus says? <laughs> no, no, you don't have any power except that which has been given by God. And we need to understand this. And it says, if you rebel against the authority, what are you rebelling against? Help me out here. God. You get that? You're going to rebel against God. You're going to rebel against the authority you're not rebelling against the authority. You are rebelling against God. That's what he lays out here. And he tackles this thing. And he goes, okay, you oppose the government. You are opposing God. That's what he lays out in, in verse 2. But here's where we got to struggle now. You go, but what about when the government asked me to do things that I can't do? Um, you remember the story with Jesus and the coin? You understand the background behind that? Here's the thing. The, the leaders, they were always trying to trick Jesus. And they came to Jesus and they said, hey, look, we got a question for you. Do we have to pay taxes or not? Now, look, it was a loaded question. Here's why it was a loaded question. If Jesus said yes, the Jews were going to be against him because he was supporting Rome. If Jesus said no, he, they, could caught, they could accuse him of treason and the Roman government would have put him to death. So it was a catch-22. They were going to get him either way. Either way, one group was going to hate him, and one group was going to love him. And they said, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what did Jesus do? He said, give me a coin. He puts up the coin. There's imprinted the, the Caesar's face on it. And he said, whose image is on it? He said, Caesar. And he said, and this is the key. You give to Caesar what's Caesar's. You give to God what's God's. He said there are two categories you need to understand. There's a category of Caesar. There's a category of God. And he said, you need to make sure you put things in the right category. Money, Caesar's. And the Bible is filled with stories of people who were in this conundrum. Do I do what the king says or do I do what God says? And here's what you'll find over and over again. There's a theme that runs through all the stories. Um, you help me out. 
What are some of the stories of people who had to stand before, up against the, this two, these two ideas? Huh? Daniel. They look at Daniel and they say, Daniel, you can't pray. You can't pray. And what does Daniel do? He does a, a choice. Things of God, or things of God, things of Caesar's. Nope. I'm going to, every day, I pray every day. I, God, I pray, I'm going to open my window. I'm not going to do anything flashy. I'm not going to do anything different. Every day I open my window and I pray. So you tell me I can't pray. The king's made an order. If so, I'm going to be killed. Watch me because the next day I'm going to open my, my windows and pray just like I always do. They throw him into the, the, the lion's den. Think about the story for a minute. David sleep, or, or, uh, Daniel sleeps well that night. The king's the one who doesn't sleep. King comes rushing in there next morning. Daniel says, don't worry, king, I'm here. Get him out of there. And all the guys who got him to sign that decree, the Bible says their bones never even hit the bottom of the pit before they were gone. Daniel said, you know what? And by the way, did Daniel fight going to the lion's den? No. That's, that's the king's world. The king says, no. Okay, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what the things that are God's world. Give me another example. Oh, you got to say it really loud. Yeah, Abani, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I don't like using their pagan names. Um, uh, but they were given pagan names of, of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the, the three wise guys. So um, those guys, what were they said? You, you need to bow. When a trumpet sounds, you've got to bow. And, and thousands and thousands of people bow down, and three guys are standing up. The guy said, maybe you misunderstood us. No, we didn't understand you. We just not bowing. That's God's stuff. And we're not going to do God's stuff. Well, you don't understand. We're going to throw you like in a fiery furnace. They say, you know what? Hey, look, our God can deliver us. Don't know if he will. Doesn't matter. We ain't bowing. They were respectful. They were honorable. And they said, if that's what you need to do, throw us in. So they don't fight. They simply go into the furnace. Next thing you know, they come out. Who else? Bible's full of examples, by the way. Huh? Esther. Esther, deciding, you know what? I'm going to serve God faithfully, no matter what. Come on, give me some more. Huh? Caleb. Or David. David, deciding to, to serve God, no matter what. Man after God's own heart, actually. Uh, who else? Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, who says, you know what? I, even if it means God, in God's world, he says, I don't get it. doesn't make any sense to me. God says not to, you know, God, I mean, it's my son, but you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to serve God. Uh, Shifra and Pua, remember them? Those are the two Egyptian midwives who say, when they're told to kill male, Egypt, male child, children, say we can't do it. We'll obey God rather than a man. Um, it's interesting, Peter, who writes in 1 Peter to honor those who are in authority over you. By the way, Peter writes that during the reign of Nero. In Rome, he says, honor those guys. Peter, you know what Peter does? They come to Peter and Paul and say, you guys can't preach anymore. They said, you know what? You decide whether or not we're going to preach. But we're going to preach. Throw them in a prison. Come out the next day. You know what they do? Preach. Why? God's world. Caesar's world. And he makes that distinction. And here's what he says. He says, look, if you're going to go against God, Caesar's world, you better make sure something you're commanded clearly to do in God's world. Put those things in one world or the other. 
Here's a great, here's probably, I think, one of the best examples of where these come into conflict the most. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane? They come to take Jesus. All four gospel accounts record, by the way, this story, so it's, it's very, very significant. Peter pulls out his sword. Um, by the way, for those of you who are like gun rights people, he's like concealed carry, but it's, it's open carry. Uh, but anyway, uh, here, so, so here he is, open carrying, um, and with Jesus, and the, the crowd walks in there, the mob walks in to arrest him, and Peter, you know, got my, got my, got my right to carry thing, whacks off an ear, and Jesus says, put the sword away, heals Malchus's ear, because why? He said, no, 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 no. They have a right to come and take me. It's ne- this is not going to go down that way, Peter. Why? Because this is their world. We're going to let them do it their way. We're not going to fight at that point. This isn't the time or the place. Put the sword away. And so you see all of these things in conflict. Why? Because here's the principle, and this is what he taught. If you are rebelling against what God has instituted, you bring judgment on yourself. Going on. For rulers show no, no terror to those who do right, but to those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right. Um, let me, I'm going to make this really easy for you. If the speed limit is 55, and you've set your cruise control at 55, and there's a police officer on the side of the road, do you hit your brake? Why? Because you know you're going the speed limit. If the speed limit's 55, and you have your cruise control set on 70, and there's a police officer on the side of the road, what do you do? You, yeah, <laughs> wave, wave and pull over and go, come on, get me now. Why? Because this is the thing. If you're doing that which is right, you don't fear that police officer sitting there. It's when you're doing that which is wrong that it becomes fear and terror in your life. Okay? That's, that's the principle. And he's saying, look, why? Because so if we do what's right. And then he goes, he said, um, then do what's right. Notice what this says. This is, this is phenomenal. Verse 4. He is God's servant to do you good. You see that word servant? We have an English word that we get from that. Deacon. It's used twice in this verse. He is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant. A nature of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. By the way, some of you might struggle a little bit with the whole capital punishment thing. You need to wrestle with this first. You didn't discipline with the sword. You maimed or you killed with the sword. So when he says, look, the government has a right. He doesn't bear the sword in vain. He's saying, you know, it's serious how the government deals with with those who do wrong. And he goes on. He says, all right, therefore, it is necessary to submit, here's our word, arrange it, to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. As a believer who wants to honor God, it's the right thing to do. So then he goes on. And if, that, if you aren't upset yet, now you're about ready to get there. That's why you pay taxes. Now he's going to throw the whole tax thing into it. 
That's why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. You see the word again? Different word. You know what this word servant means here? Minister, pastor, shepherd. Because you are God's servant, who give their full-time government? He says, you know what? He says, you pay taxes because that's their job. I did a little research just to find out what the average Jew in the Old Testament paid in taxes. You know, the Old Testament Jew had six taxes they, they paid total. Um, they paid one for, um, they paid one for uh, a tithe because at that point the Jewish leaders and the, and the priests and all that, they were also the government of the day. So they, they paid a tithe. Um, they had a temple tax that they had to pay that went to take care of the temple stuff. They had a welfare tax of about 3% that they paid. Uh, once every seven years, they let their fields go fallow. Um, uh, they were, when, they were, when they went through their fields to cut their fields, they were supposed to leave stuff on the edges for poor people to go and, and pick stuff so they could be fed. Um, and then there was another tax. All total, the six taxes totaled roughly about 24% of their income is, is what they paid. Now, I know we probably paid more than that when we figure in gas and gas tax and sales tax and income tax and, and all that kind of thing. But nonetheless, you know, it was, a, it was a good chunk of change for them, too. He says, pay your taxes. Um, you know, there are Christians who get all bent out of shape about this. Um, I struggle with the idea because my taxes go for stuff I don't like. Until this week, I struggle with that. I don't struggle with that anymore. Here's why. <clears throat> Remember the story of Jesus and Peter and the fish where he uses the coin to pay the taxes? Remember that story? Where he says, you know, our taxes due, how are we going to pay it? And Jesus says, go grab the fish, take the coin out of its mouth, go pay the taxes. All right? Remember that story? The tax that was being paid was a temple tax. That tax went, it was males paid it once a year to support the temple. Think about this for a second. When Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Anybody remember where the money came from? the temple treasury. Jesus funded his own betrayal. Why? Because you pay taxes. Now, you can choose whatever you want to focus on. There are a lot of things my taxes support that I don't like. There's some things that my taxes support that I do like. I've driven on the roads in Papua New Guinea. Believe me, I'm glad to pay a road tax. Believe me. Um, I'm glad to be able to support our police officers. Um, there are a lot of things that our government does that I like, that I'm grateful for. Um, there are a lot of things that my tax money goes for that I just abhor, and I'm biblically opposed to. Uh, just like when this is written, they're funding Rome. Have you ever studied Roman history to find out what's going on with Roman tax money? Okay, and he says, you pay your taxes. And then he ends it this way, and this is, what I, this is where I love. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, you pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. All right, a couple of takeaways. Either one, two things. You all are going to come back next week, or I'm going to be preaching to an empty church. Um, here we go. Let's talk about takeaways. Let's talk about some practical stuff that helps us as we, as we struggle with this whole thing. All right, first thing. You need to learn the difference between what's God's and what's man's. You need to defend, def, de, differentiate in your life 
What is Caesar's and what is God's? And you need to know what hill you're willing to die on. What is it that is of God's that you, are, you will never waver from? So if they tell you, if they make it against the law next year to come to church, you're going to show up or not? Is that a God thing or a man thing? You've got to decide. You need to know what's in this category and what's in this category. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes in this whole political thing, we kind of blend these things together. But no, no, look at the things in the Bible where people took a stand and said, they said I can't do it, but this is a God thing. I have to do it. And by the way, notice their approach and how they handle it. They don't fight it. They say, if that's your thing, my God will take care of me. If my God needs to, if my God can deliver me, God might, he might not, doesn't matter, I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to stand here. No matter what, because this is a God thing for me. You need to decide what those things are. You need to decide what hill is it that you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm not, I will not bow my knee there. I won't do that. I think the big principle in this passage, and the one that I just, I'm going to harp on for about five minutes and then close it up, is this. I'm concerned that we are raising generation after generation that doesn't know how to respond properly to authority. And it scares me. Um, when you look at the issue of authority, authority is, a, is an issue that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When God said, Adam, don't eat of that tree. And Satan comes along and questions God's authority. He doesn't really know what's best. He's keeping a bunch of stuff from you. You can go ahead and eat from that tree. So this is an issue that goes all the way back to the Garden and this authority thing is huge. And I can't stress this enough to parents and grandparents here that I think this is something we need to nip in the bud and we need to nip in the bud in our culture big time. What kind of authority do we need to teach our kids to submit to? All governing authorities. Okay, this is where you're going to get really uncomfortable. I'm going to sit down on this one. Um, one of the reasons I hate going to ball games because of watching people scream at the umpires and the refs. You know what you're teaching your children? And if I disagree with the authority, I can treat them disrespectfully. When you stand out and you're screaming at that ref, that, da, 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 da. and by the way, I, you need to know I'm prejudiced. And here's why I'm prejudiced. My dad was a referee for basketball and football. You know why my dad didn't take me to the games that he refed? Because he didn't want his sixth grader listening to the things people said in the stands. Because they looked at it as a right to criticize whoever was in authority on that field. If I was a coach, this is why I can't coach because I tick off too many people. If I was a coach, every player on my team would go by every referee and every umpire after a game, shake his hands and say, thank you for roughing this game. Disagree with your calls, but you did a good job. Now, you know why you can't do that? Because most referees or umpires will tell you they want to get out of that field as fast as they can because nobody does that with them.
We're teaching our kids. It, it drives me up a tree when I watch the way parents treat teachers. And they will chew a teacher out in front of a kid. Do you know what you're doing to authority? Do you know what you're doing when that officer pulls you over and your kids are sitting in the car and then you walk, drive off from there and you make all of your comments about him, the way he was doing his job and da 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 Do you know what you're doing when you talk about your political leaders in a disrespectful and dishonorable way? Do you understand what you're doing when you click that little like Facebook post that is disrespectful and dishonoring? to our president, to our, our congressman, to our everything else? Do you understand you are destroying authority, even your own in your own life of your family? Why? Because we have stopped honoring people. We have stopped, we, for some reason, we think we have a right to be disrespectful to people we disagree with. You never have a right to be disrespectful or dishonorable to people that God puts in authority over you. To be disrespectful and dishonorable to them is to be disrespectful and dishonorable to God himself. You go, oh, you're going too far with it. Let's argue. I'm telling you what it says, not what you want to hear. Why? Because we have lost this principle. When your kid comes home and is complaining about a teacher, a coach, some authority that is put over them, and you side with them, and you give in to them, and you start bad-mouthing that teacher or authority, or whoever it is, with that kid around, you are destroying your own authority. And you better realize it. Because we're doing it with generation after generation right now, and we've got to stop it. At least in our little world. Why? Because God says, if they respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You go, PJ, I, I, you, know, you don't understand. There's no way I can respect that person. Let me help you here for a moment. There's a principle in the military that says this. In the military, if you know anything, military, everything's about rank and order. And if it's an officer, you're supposed to salute them. And if you know anything about people who've been in the military, there are there are officers that are disrespectful and dishonorable people. But they still hold a higher rank than you. So you're taught from day one in basic training this very simple principle. You always salute the rank, not the person. Let me say it again. You always salute the rank, not the person. You always show honor to the position, even if the person holding the position is dishonorable. Or disrespectful. Why? Because they hold that position. Personally, I differ on a whole lot of issues with our president. But if I ran into him on the street, I would show him the highest honor that I would show a president who I had, who agreed 100% down the line with everything I agreed with. Listen, we've got to get a hold of this principle because we have gotten sidetracked on this in our country, and we think this is acceptable when the Bible is very clear this is not acceptable behavior. And if we're going to raise a generation of people who, who are honorable, respectful people, then we as adults need to be honorable, 
and respectful in the way we treat anyone who has an authority over us. You watch the way you come home talking about the boss. You watch what you say about the referee or the umpire on that field. You watch what you post on Facebook that you like or social media that you tweet about or whatever else you do with it. You be very careful here because you are setting an example and modeling what people around you will follow if you're not careful. And those of you that have kids and grandkids, they got to see it from you. They got to see it from you. Like I say, the way that I see it probably most obvious within Christian circles right now is some of the things that we say about our government leaders and what happens on ball fields. And folks, if we're going to be true disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, it has to change. It has to change. And he says here, look, you want to know what you do with your government? You want to know how you respond to your government? You show them honor. You show them respect. You, you put yourself in rank under. You submit to them. You pay your taxes. I don't say you have to be happy about it. The Bible never pr- tells me I've got to be happy about it. Um, so I'm, not, I'm never happy about it when I write that check. Um, and, you know, the funniest thing that ever happened to us was when, my, when Jimmy got his first job, got his first actual check. Came back to us and said, who's FICA? And why am I giving him all my money? You know? And it's like, <laughs> welcome to the real world, son. Um, that's the way it goes. You know? Why? Because that's part of, of, of being a good citizen. So my takeaway, my prayer for all of us is this. God's established authority in all of our lives. Some of those authorities are good, and some of them are bad. But all of them can accomplish God's purpose. You and I have to respond by learning to submit and to honor. We keep in proper perspective the things that belong to God and the things that belong to men. But we always have an obligation to respond in the way God commands us to respond. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, sometimes our personalities, our pride, our ego can excuse behaviors, Lord, that you condemn. Lord, sometimes we get so passionate about the things that we're passionate about that we forget that even in our passion we have to be honorable and respectful in the things that we say and the things that we do. So, Lord, For those of us that have opportunity, help us to change the direction of our country. Lord, for those who are involved in the political process, would you continue to encourage them and strengthen them? Lord, for our leaders, whether we agree or we disagree with them, Lord, we understand that the king's heart is in your hands. So, Lord, help us to respond in a proper way. And, Lord, for all authority that you've put over us, Lord, would you help us to be able to teach this next generation that, Lord, we are always respectful and we are always honorable in the way we treat people you have created. And uh, we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's.